All right, welcome back to the big program. Text coming in, one 401 Hey, if you want to give us a call, too, you got a question for Grant Fuhr or something, same line, one 401 This comes in. Hey, guys, it's a tough Oilers day, but it's a great show and really top guest. Uh, we're going to get to a text with Gelly a little bit later. We're going to bring Gelly's text on. And I've even got a surprise for you tomorrow, Gelly, even more so than what you thought about today's lineup. All right, let's welcome in Cam Lewis from Blue Jays Nation. Cam, you're with Kevin Carius and Grant Fuhrer, the Hockey Hall of Famer on Sports 1440. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. Hey, what's this Coombsy all about? The Duke was just telling me the Coombsy's coming on. <laughs> That's a nickname that uh, I got in high school. I can't really remember <laughs> why. I must have been about 15 someone called me that. And then Twitter was just starting out. This is, say, 2008, 2009. I just made Coombsy my handle, <laughs> and then I just never stopped using it, and people call me that professionally now, and I've just leaned into it. Well, we got Fierzy, we got Coombsy, <laughs> we got it all today. So, uh, Cam Lewis from um, Blue Jays Nation, what's the biggest news going on with the Jays today? I think I saw Kenny Rosenthal say that uh, Don Mattingly has an opportunity maybe to move out of the Jays organiza- organization over to Milwaukee with Craig Council leaving to the Cubs. So what's your take on that? Yeah, so Craig Council left the Milwaukee Brewers to sign a record-breaking contract with the Chicago Cubs, a huge deal. I think it was worth $40 million, so significantly Mm -hmm. more than he made in his playing career. Uh, And one of the names that's kind of floated out there as a possible replacement for Milwaukee is Mattingly, as you said, who the Blue Jays hired to be their bench coach after he parted ways with the Florida Marlins last offseason. Mattingly, of course, Long playing career with the Yankees. He was their hitting coach for a while. Left New York when Joe Torre went to the Dodgers. Mattingly became the manager of the Dodgers after Torre retired. And then after he left the Dodgers, went to Miami. Uh, it's it's, it's kind of hard to say with this one. There's a lot of names in the mix. And I mean, Mattingly has a ton of managerial experience. And I think it was good for them to have him on the bench in Toronto, given this was John Schneider's first full season as a big league manager. But now that you've had that kind of, he's, Schneider's established himself a little bit more. I mean, some people may or may, or may not agree with that, but Schneider's, you know, not, not a rookie manager at this stage. So I think if Blue Jays were to lose the veteran bench presence in Mattingly, then they would carry on just fine. Go ahead, Grant. So with the quick exit in the playoffs, what do you think the odds are of the Blue Jays making a push for Otani? <laughs> I mean, uh, things that things the, the the talk is that there's the now, now, now this is talk to preface this this is early off season talk we all know how the hype machine gets going and everybody gets excited about who the Blue Jays could add but to be fair to them they've been active in free agency in recent years George Springer um, Kevin Gosman of course there there is a rumor that the Blue Jays are among the teams who will make Shohei Otani an offer. But it, it, it appears to be that the odds-on favorite for the two-way superstar will be the Los Angeles Dodgers because his preference apparently is to remain out west. It's, it's closer for him in Japan, uh, just makes life easier for him. But I think the fact that the Blue Jays are in the conversation is a positive thing. They have a lot of money coming off of the, the, the payroll this year to free agency. There'll be Kevin Kiermaier, Brandon Belt, probably Matt Chapman, Whit Merrifield, all leaving free agency. And then you have cheaper, less expensive guys coming up, David Schneider, Spencer Horowitz, and you probably go ahead and use that budget for a big addition. I don't think it will wind up being Otani. 
I think the player the Blue Jays have their eyes on this year is Cody Bellinger, hmm. who just had a huge rebound season with the Chicago Cubs. I think he kind of fills a lot of their needs. Good outfielder, big power bat, left-handed. They were interested in him last offseason, and I think they'll get it done this winter. Cam Lewis from uh, Blue Jays Nations, our guest, Kevin Carey's Grand Fear on Sports 1440. What kind of dollars would we be looking at as far as a Cody Bellinger contract years? Is there something that is comparable at all, Cam, out there? It's He's kind of a weird contract. I think the one that sort of comes to mind, though it's not a perfect comparable, is Marcus Semyon because um, Bellinger, of course, came up with the L.A. Dodgers. He, he won an MVP, won Rookie of the Year with them won the World Series in 2020 and then had some issues with injuries and his play really declined and they, they decli- decided not to um, keep him around last offseason. They non-tendered him and he signed that one-year $20 million deal with the Cubs. It was much similar to Marcus Semien a few years ago. He had a good start to his career in Oakland and then had a few bad seasons. One of those was the shortened 2020 season. And then he signs the one-year show-me deal with the Jays has a fantastic season, signs a deal north of $150 million with the Texas Rangers. And given Bellinger's age and his pedigree, he, even Semyon was never an MVP before he signed with the Jays, whereas Bellinger was. So I would venture that Bellinger might be able to command more on his long-term contract. I would guess north of 150 Ooh, That's a lot of cash yeah. for sure, lots of cash. Cam Lewis from Blue Jays Nations, our guest, Kevin Carius, Grand Fear. Do you look at, is there anyone out there trade-wise, but in the same sense... How thin would you say the Blue Jays' farm system is after, you know, they've given up a little bit here in the last uh, few years, too? Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> given the way the, 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 the trade went last winter, I don't want to <laughs> knock Dalton Varshow. He's a, he's a good player in his own right, but that one didn't work out very well for Ross Atkins, I don't think. So I would hope that the Blue Jays maybe, maybe look more to free agency when it comes to making their ads this year. You look back at the past, like, three years, really, and they've made a lot of trades that involved a lot of prospects, adding Matt Chapman, adding Jose Barrios, the aforementioned Varsho uh, trade with Arizona, of course. There's, they, they've been selling off their prospects like crazy. So uh, at some point, you kind of run out of moves you can make because you have to maintain the depth in your system. And there really aren't that many top names there anymore. So my guess is that we see the Blue Jays busier in free agency this winter. If they, if they strike out on a guy like Bellinger, you know, you have to look somewhere else and maybe consider something like a reunion with Teoscar Hernandez or Lourdes Gurriel on a one-year contract, something like that. I don't think Gurriel will be on a one-year contract. He had a great season, but Teoscar didn't have a fantastic year in Seattle. The Mariners didn't give him the qualifying offer. So one-year show-me deal possibility, but I, I, I think it'll be more of a free agency winter for the Jays this year. Grant? How about Matt Chapman? What are the odds of him coming back? That's an interesting question. I mean, Matt Chapman had hit a strange season last year. He started off in April and he was hitting like crazy, looked like the MVP at the end of the month, looked like he was going to sign a huge contract. And then his, his bat kind of disappeared down the stretch. And I mean, at the end of the day with Matt Chapman, he's so good defensively, he wins the gold glove this year, is the fourth of his career. He's so good defensively that, I mean, even if he's not hitting super well, you still get 15, 20 home runs at the hot corner, an amazing defense. And given this year's free agent market, there's only really a few big names. Otani's the big fish. Bellinger's probably the guy for who the teams that strike out on Otani. And then after that, I think you're looking at Matt Chapman as the number one name. So uh, if the Blue Jays do strike out on Bellinger and it doesn't work, and you have that money and you decide, you know what, look, 
Matt Chapman's the best free agent around, and he, he fills a need that we have. He's a great third baseman, knows the team, well-liked teammate, good player. Maybe that's the guy to keep around, but there are a lot of teams out there with a big need on the uh, left side of their infield. There's been talk that the New York Yankees might be interested in signing Matt Chapman, so I don't think that's going to be an easy one to, to keep around, especially if the Blue Jays want to make improvements elsewhere. Cam Coomsey Lewis from Blue Jays Nation and Fierzy on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. So do you think, Cam, that he uh, Matt Chapman accepts the qualifying offer? I'd be pretty surprised. I mean, there was there was some talk back in, it was September, I think, that he was dealing with the, the, the broken finger. He missed a few games, and then when he was playing, he was just pretty much invisible at the plate with that injury, which, I mean, makes sense. Broken finger, not easy to hit. Um, there was some talk about it. Maybe he takes... Um, one year, $20 million, which is about what the qualifying offer is this year. It's the, the average of a, the top 125 contracts in baseball. So $20 million just north of that. I, I do think he can earn more than that in free agency, but it's always possible if he doesn't find, like, if he doesn't find the suitor he's looking for and decides, you know what, maybe I'm just going to come back to an environment that I'm familiar with, try and have a better, healthier season, go into free agency again next year and see what's up. But I think just, just given that this is a, a pretty weak market, there aren't that many big infield bat names like Chapman out there, I think somebody will pony up over $100 million. Grant, you got one more for Coomsey? <laughs> <laughs> so with everything happening over the course of the year, will they have anybody come out of winter ball that has a chance of making the lineup? That's a, it'll, be, it'll be an interesting thing to watch watch next year is um, one thing the Blue Jays and Ross Atkins talked about this during his press conference after the, the, the Jays lost in the playoffs against Minnesota. One thing the Blue Jays feel better about now than they did in the past, getting um, uh, into last season, is there's a lot more quality depth in the upper minors, players that are ready to contribute to the team. And I think that's, where, that's why you're not going to see the Jays go out and add you know, five or six different veterans in free agency. It'll just be one bigger name. And then you have space uh, roster spots open for guys like Davis Schneider made his debut last year. He was fantastic. But then, you know, down the stretch, John Schneider wasn't as comfortable playing a rookie. You have another guy, Spencer Horowitz. He came up, made a difference with the Blue Jays down the stretch when Brandon Belt was hurt. Uh, a couple of other guys who had big seasons in Buffalo or Elvis Martinez. He's playing right now in the winter league he's playing some second base which is a little bit interesting he's usually a third baseman so and then also Addison Barger as well that was a name that was in the mix in spring training last year so there's quite a few different options internally for the Jays to go here and uh, I think that's going to be a big theme in spring training is which young guy grabs a roster spot and just rolls with it. Cam Lewis with us Carrius Fewer Sports 1440 would it be a great feel-good story, like an unbelievable feel-good story for Joey Votto to retire as a Cincinnati Red? Or what if he came to the Toronto Blue Jays to play at his home country one year, give him a real team-friendly contract? He's your left-handed uh, pinch hitter off the bench. He could probably fill in at first if you needed, depending on what would they do with uh, some other players. But what about Joey Votto finishing his career as a Toronto Blue Jay? Oh, I, I, I would love it personally. I mean, Joey Votto, he's, he's 40 years old now. There's, he's not the same hitter he used to be when he was, you know, a perennial all-star MVP candidate. But 
he's still a pretty good hitter. You look look at his numbers last year. He put up like a 750 on base plus slugging. And you look at the Blue Jays, and there's only what two or three guys really who did better than that. So I mean, even a, a, a very old Joey Votto is still a pretty solid hitter. And I mean, you need to have veterans in your lineup, and you need to have guys on the bench, guys who have you know played in big game situations. I just mentioned in, in our in our kind of last talk there. There's going to be a lot of young guys in the Blue Jays next year, so nothing wrong with having veterans. I think Joey Votto would be a really excellent player to have around, and from Rogers and the Blue Jays' standpoint, you're probably going to make back his entire contract on red Canada Day, Canada Day Joey Votto jerseys anyway. <laughs> so I think, I think it would make all kinds of sense for the Blue Jays to go ahead and do that. Hey, Cam, did you know Grant Fuhr played senior ball in Edmonton while he was playing for the Oilers? Really? I had no idea. That's awesome. Grant? Yeah. What position? Slash didn't think it was too awesome, but <laughs> I enjoyed what, what, it. So. What was the position? You weren't, you weren't behind the plate, were you? Yeah, I was. Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> you had a blast. Yeah, funny, you had a blast, didn't you, Fierzy? I did. I enjoyed playing ball, and uh, I saw no harm in it, but apparently I wasn't being paid to play ball. So, <laughs> And you had an ankle injury, right? Yeah, I turned an ankle over about so two and a half, three weeks before training camp, and Glenn frowned on my baseball playing after that. So I switched to fastball, which he didn't like. Either. Apparently, didn't find that very good either. Well, Cam, you've got a new column that whatever you want to write, a new article, and just uh, contact uh, Grant Fuhr and talk about his baseball playing days while he played with the Oilers. There you go. Yeah, good to know. I had no idea he was a ball player too. For sure. Thanks very much for coming on, Cam. Appreciate it. Uh, we'll keep tabs on what's going on with the Jays here in the next little bit. It's going to be a busy time around baseball and all eyes on Shohei Otani. Thanks for having me. All right. That is Cam Lewis from Blue Jays Nation. When we come back, former NHLer Carter Hutton, now with the daily faceoff. I mean, it's just a standard goaltender's union, isn't it, Fierzy? Once you get out of goaltending, you got to get into broadcasting. Isn't that the way it goes? Well, I don't know about getting into broadcasting, but we still consider ourselves the brains of the operation. So, <laughs> well, why wouldn't you? Uh, Carter Hutton coming up on uh, Sports 1440 right after the break. Stay with us. Wow. All right, Duke. What's next? Anvil. Metal on metal. They turn in my grave. We're really getting into the, the heavy stuff this morning. It's been a heavy day, hasn't it, Duke? And Grant, uh, thanks for uh, being patient with a lot of our texters, callers. Uh, if you've got a call or a question for either Grant Fuhrer or even Carter Hutton coming up, one 401 or shoot us off a text. Uh, same number, one 401 And let's welcome in Carter Hutton, former NHL goaltender, now with the uh, Daily Faceoff. Carter, you're uh, on Sports 1440 with Kevin Carries and Grant Fuhrer. Good morning. Hey, guys, thanks for having me on. Excited to uh, chat a little hockey and uh, get connected out west. Well, Grant was just saying you were at a golf tournament with Grant uh, uh, recently. Where was that? What was it all about? Well, I don't know about recent. But... Oh. <laughs> yeah, Sorry, a little Grant. while ago, but yeah, in Thunder Bay. Well, when I was semi-young. The Stahl Foundation there. He was Grant was playing it, and I got to meet him, and obviously a bit of an honor, right? It's Especially being an NHLer, I think for me, always the, the guys that kind of built it and the older generation, uh, you know, you really look up to. And he was always great to me getting to meet him. So it was mm-hmm. obviously a, a cool experience for me and great to chat with you now. Carter, did you did you think you'd get into the broadcasting angle after your playing days? Uh, I wasn't sure. I, I used to do a lot of interviews when I played in Nashville. They'd interview me right on the bench whenever Rene was playing. And uh, I, people always told me I was good at it. I guess I never really thought about it. Um, 
just always kind of come naturally. It's just talking hockey. And I guess maybe being a backup for a lot of my career, it's just something I always kind of watched the game and saw it. And, uh, and I enjoy it. I just love the game, right? I'm just still still a fan of it and it's 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 a way for me to stay around it as my as i got older and the body couldn't hold up anymore it's, it's still a fun way to be part of it grant so of all the places you played what was your favorite city oh i'd probably have to say nashville because i think at that point my wife and i were just dating and we were having a lot of fun we had no kids nothing tying us down and uh that city was booming it didn't matter what night it was we were having fun and the crowd was awesome and you know, we, we had a really good team, uh, but at the same time, like, we didn't really win. Like, we had a few stints in the playoffs. We we made it to the second round, but it was just a fun atmosphere all the time. And I, I think for me, it really helped me cut my teeth in the NHL with lack of pressure. You know, sometimes you're in that Canadian market and every single game is is the end of the world where down there it was just we're drinking whether we won or lost. The, the fans were great, so it, it made it easy for my transition into the NHL. Carter Hutton with us on the Kevin Carey Show with Grant Fuhr. You grinded your way to get into the NHL, Carter. There's no disputing that after playing you know, Junior A, then going to UMass Lowell uh, for four years and then three, four years in the minors before you got a crack. What was it that kept you going to kind of realize your NHL dream? I think just fear of failure in a sense too, right? I, I feel like I was always super motivated because I was never the guy, right? I think just certain, you know, I got cut numerous times as a kid. I was never played on the rep teams and I was always, you know, just never the best, right? I was always decent. And and I think just a family, you know, coming from a blue collar family here in Thunder Bay, just like work ethic, right? So every day I just go to work and keep going. And then as I got older, I think all those childhood experiences just really made me super strong in the sense of if things didn't go my way, if I had a bad game or a good game, if I wasn't playing, I just kept at it, kept chipping away, chipping away where I really noticed when I got into like the American league level, everybody was good. And a lot of guys didn't know how to deal with not being the guy. They always just were the guy because they were the best players wherever they came from. But for me, it was just common. If things didn't go my way, I just kept chipping away, chipping away. And then over time, all of a sudden, you're in the NHL and you're part of it and you're one of the guys. And so I, I feel like that mentality really helped me out even to stay good when I got into the NHL. Go ahead, Grant. So we've been talking goalies this morning. Seems how it seems to be the fun topic these days. <laughs> uh, from the American League to the National Hockey League, how big a difference did you find it? I, I, I felt like the game was a little more predictable in the NHL. Um, where the, You know, just the defense and structure is just a little more sloppy, but when goal scorers get a chance in the NHL, they don't miss. Where I found in the American League, guys would tend to miss their shots as much, or you know, you get away with you know being out of position sometimes because they didn't pick their spots. Where the high end guys, especially the power play, was the biggest difference. The speed in which the puck moved, and for me, my biggest adjustment was just like managing my depth. Right as I I was an aggressive goalie, I, I definitely played with a lot of athletic ability. So being able to back myself up in the crease a bit in the NHL really helped me like more sustainable, especially against like power plays and, and the way they, the puck travels east-west. Carter Hutton's our guest on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440 with Grant Fuhr. So when you were in Buffalo, Carter, you had you were there several years, but you your tender mate was Linus Allmark. And now you see what he's doing in Boston. Can you kind of touch on the fact that he was such a good goaltender when you were with him and how he has kind of elevated his game even more so now that he's in Boston? Um, it's it's not surprising. I, I think Linus had some maturing to do. Um, you know, as one of those kids that he is a phenom, he can 
he can kind of do it all. Um, but just didn't understand why sometimes, right? Like he would, you know, he wanted to do his things his way and, and you know, a unique character for sure. And I, I love Linus for that sense, but I feel like as he matured and, and really found his way to fit inside a team mold, it's really helped him a lot um, and winning players over. And for me, his the way he manages the crease is amazing. I remember there's nights where, you know, he'd have 40, 40 shots against and it's a 2-1 game and he'd come to the bench and for a drink of water and there wasn't a bead of sweat on him. He was just, he could just play and manage it very well and very carefree in the sense he could let things roll off his back pretty well, which I think is a really good skill to have where I compare myself of the exact opposite. <laughs> the amount of energy it came for me to put into a game and, you know, losing like six to eight pounds a game and the amount of work ethic I put into it where he just naturally had it. And I think all those things kind of come into fruition now with the success he's having. Carter Hutton with us on the Kevin Carey Show, Sports 1440. So, Carter, now that you're kind of on the dark side here in the media and the Oilers goaltending situation is not exactly being a hit right now in this city, can you give your take on what you think is happening in the crease with the Edmonton Oilers? No, I... I, I hate to do it because I, I still know lots of these guys and stuff, mm-hmm. but it is a tough situation. I, I circle back to that Jack Campbell contract, and I just think it's an absolute doozy. Um, it's a tough one to swallow. I think you've kind of – you look at last year, he was an absolute liability, and, and Stuart Skinner was playing so well, it got to the point where he had to play every game because Campbell was so bad, and then you burn him out, and now he's lacking his confidence. You're coming to this year, and it's tough to regain that. Um, you start to decompress a bit, right? You have such a great year, and then – all of a sudden, it's the summer. Now you're trying to fire it back up. So you, I, I think you need to get Jack Campbell going somehow. I don't know if he's serviceable anymore. It, it's tough. Um, he's got a lot of off-ice issues, I think, like just in the way he manages his mental side of the game. And you need that because I don't think he's the guy going to bring you to the promised land, to be honest with you. I think it's got to be Stuart Skinner or it's got to be a move somewhere, right? There's some older goalies that are – you just need somebody serviceable. Like if you can't hold a 900 save percentage in this league, it's, uh, I don't know if you can be in it. Grant, you want a pony on that? Yeah, so as the game's progressed over the years, how much of it do you think is mental and how much is physical? Well, I, I think it's a mix, right? Like, the game has gotten a lot faster. Um, like, even looking at last night, the way Skinner's playing, you can tell right now he's doubting himself, like second-guessing, even over-committing and moving around too much, where you look at the far end, you look at Demko just manages the crease well, right? Like, he, he's always sitting his post, he's staying inside, he's letting the game come to him. And granted, sometimes the Oilers don't defend very well, so I feel like you kind of start to chase it a bit. Um, but the mental side is important, right? These games start to snowball, um, especially when you're in a Canadian market, right, Grant? Like, you understand it. Like, you obviously were one of the best at it. You knew how to manage it. You could play it. But today's media is different, right? Like, these kids, everybody has social media. Everybody has all these things. You're in front of the microphone nonstop. Even if you're trying to isolate yourself from it, you're getting told why you suck or, or what's going on with you, what's wrong. And it's hard. You know, I'm sure these guys go out, go to a restaurant, people are looking at them, you start second second guessing yourself and it kind of snowballs on them well i don't know if they're going out to a restaurant in in town here i don't think it would be possible you know how it it is eh, Fursey? well you know what we used to hide in plain sight we'd go to the restaurants and without social media you got the up close and personal what was going on with your game so it it's a tough thing to manage where you'd like to go out and be able to relax enjoy your family but Everybody in Edmonton cares. I think that's the big difference of most markets is the Canadian market. People care. They want to know, good, bad, or otherwise. And it's 
it's hard to put it all in one compartment. You have to be able to turn the game off and live your life, but at the same time, be able to turn it right back on and go to the rink. Carter. I agree. It's super important. Uh, I think for me, like being able to compartmentalize things like Grant said is, was huge, right? Even, as I got older and, you know, I, you know, I get married and I have kids and I remember we had our, our son when we were in St. Louis and, um, it was a big year for me. It was a big contract year. It was the year that I led the league and saved percentage and goals against. And you had to turn it off no matter if I didn't get any sleep or whatever was going on. And, and obviously I had my, my wife that helped me, you know, do that. But at the same sense, like sometimes getting away from the game was most important. I think having those outlets, having ways to, to turn it off right and then be able to find it again and that's where i think having that skill set to be able to dial yourself back in when it is time to go is because realistically at the end of the day the only thing that matters is when that puck drops and the lights are on whether you had a shitty practice or the whatever the last game was that moment as long as you can be dialed in to play in that game carter hutton with us on the kevin carey show on sports 1440 Carter, how much how much did you work with maybe a sports psychologist in your time in the NHL? And can you speak to the relationship you had with goaltending coaches? Um, I so as I got a little more mature, I started to work more with the sports psych. Uh, I think early in my career, I came from rough, tough Thunder Bay, like old school. You know, you don't you don't talk about problems, you don't deal with it. Um, where I as I got more mature, it was just like going to the gym or just practicing. I, I would work on those details with somebody and someone that's professional and not to say that you were weak by any means, but it was a good skill to have like another trait that it's not for when you don't, you know, when things are going good, you don't need it. It's a time where, you know, you start to snowball. Maybe there's a little bit ways you can find build confidence out of it. And I think working with a goalie coach is hand in hand, right? Just the way you manage, there's days where you're just checked out, right? There's days where the grind gets to you and having a coach that you can, confide in and express that like where you're at and just days where he can protect you from the grind of what's going on and maybe it's just a day or two here or there that really helps you get over the the grind of a season is it that tough can you can you just block everything out or how difficult is that to you know i don't know what the right terminology is here but when you want to keep building on day to day to day and be in that mindset of trying to get through a rough patch how difficult is it to sort of block out that exterior noise? Yeah, it's tricky, right? Especially nowadays, right? With, you know, like you talk about the social media stuff. And so I think just not exposing yourself to that is, is a first step, right? Or how you handle it and being able to compartmentalize it. Um, but I also believe that there is a sense of staying present, right? Sometimes you get in these markets where it's like, you know, there's expectations and all these things and you can't control the next day or what's going on. All you can do is be present, right? So, where I feel like the sports psych really helps you stay in the moment, right? Where it's, I'm just going to worry about this practice and then I'm going to go home and I'm going to worry about whatever else is going on. I can't control what happened last game. I can't control what's going forward and, you know, being able to handle what you can. And it's a tricky position. Being a goalie is a roller coaster, right? You know, it comes with a lot of good, but it comes with a lot of bad. That's for sure. Grant, were you able to like carpentomalize? You know what I'm trying to say? You know the word. Were you able to do that, Grant? (laughs) I was. I was. I was fortunate enough. Well, I got to be my own sports psych. So I learned to be able to shut the game off when I got home, and I learned to be able to turn it back on when I get out of bed the next morning. And a lot of goaltending is ebbs and flows. You're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days. It's trying to keep it in that straight line. And and I was by the time I got my first goaltending coach, I think I was already in the league 13 years. So a lot of what I learned, I learned on my own or with the help of a partner. I mean, having Ronnie Lowe there, having Andy Moog there, 
were great because you could bounce things off of each other, but that's as close as we got to a goalie coach. Compartmentalize. That's the word. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Carter, did you have someone to lean on as well? Uh, like Grant was just saying, like with Ronnie Lowe or whoever else it was, did you have uh, someone to kind of lean on when you were playing? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think, uh, I think like who stands out to me right now would be uh, Pekka Rene. Um, you know, a guy where I, I really broke into the NHL full time with Nashville. Um, just seeing the way he prepared day to day, the way he handled himself. He was already a top goalie. He had the big contract. He kind of had it all. And his work ethic, his attitude, and the way he managed the game. Um, and a guy I could confide in, too. <clears throat> Always wanted the best for me, supported me. So I, I think that would definitely be a guy I used. And, you know, I think I learned from all my partners throughout the years. You know, Jake Allen, Lena Allmark, different, different guys at different times, that's for sure. Carter Hutton with us. Kevin Curious, Grant Fuhrer, Sports 1440. So, Carter, how are you liking this kind of new gig with Daily Faceoff being sort of like a goaltending expert? You did mention, man, I just got out of the game, right? I just got out, so now there's guys that I have to sort of be critical of. How are you enjoying things in that sense? Uh, I, I do enjoy it. Uh, the critical part, I think I'm learning <laughs> it's not a bad thing, right? I'm not... You know, I, I think just because you never speak ill of teammates or players you played with. Um, but I'm learning I'm just managing that situation. But I honestly thoroughly enjoy it. It's something that um, I love seeing the game from this perspective. Um, and I think having the inside information in the sense of I also watched a lot of games, right? Mm-hmm. So I feel like I have a feel for it. Like majority of my career, I was, I was on the bench, right? So I, I know the feeling of being in the game where you're down or the roller coaster. And then I also know the other side of it, how many games I played. Right. So I feel like I have a pretty good perspective of that. And, and I've enjoyed like sharing it. Right. And it's something that um, I love. It's a unique position. Uh, I think I could use another, an undergrad on understanding the salary cap, but uh, I, I have to use a four year degree for that. Yeah. You have to be Matt good. Uh, Matt Damon from Goodwill hunting to figure a lot of this stuff out for sure. So I kind of leave the floor open Carter to the, a lot of guests that we've had on with Grant. Many of them have been former goalies. We've had about a half dozen goalies on former teammates of grants and, you know, just guys that played in the league. So I sort of leave the floor open to you if you wanted to ask Grant something. And then Grant, if you want to uh, come back with a question for Carter. Um, I think my question would be like the days winning in Edmonton. Um, I like, so I, I see Toronto, I see Edmonton, I see these Canadian cities that haven't won a cup in the longest time. What would you love to see and think that would happen if, you know, Edmonton was able to win the cup? What would I love? Well, obviously I'd love to see Edmonton win a cup being as I'm still a diehard Oiler fan, having been born and raised there. But again, it's, it's managing expectations. And if you look at the start of the year, everybody had them penciled in for the cup and having a good year last year and the expectations go up, the disappointments seem like they're a bigger drop. And I think it's managing that and seeing them kind of treated on an even keel. I mean, I think that's probably what I'd really like to see is not the so many ups and downs and where the downs are really miserable and the ups are really up and the world's all good again. You like to see an ev- the, the smoothness of it. I think that was a lot of what we did when we were winning is it's all about you t- treat each day as a day. There's no real pitfalls. There's no real giant wins until you do put a cup in your pocket. Do you want to flip one over to Carter, Grant? So having fun with the media side of it, with all the analytics and such, do you see analytics playing a big part or is it still 
kind of a 50-50 where there's a lot of touch and feel versus analytics? I, I think it depends on who's talking it. Um, sometimes I find people less knowledgeable because there is like an influx of people talking hockey, right? Uh, especially nowadays with with Zoom and with, you know, just being the internet, you know, it it's a, makes it pretty small. Um, I find a lot of people throw a lot of numbers out um, that aren't as knowledgeable, in my opinion, where it's just stats that just like you can drown in stats, right? Where I, I think you watch a game, there's a feel for it, right? Not every game is going to be the same, you know, and, and you need to have like, there is still emotion, there's still tension, there's still momentum swings that you can't really put down on a stat sheet. So for me, I feel like just being present in the moment with the games and, and what's going on really tells the tale. Um, you know, stats are stats, right? There's guys that make impacts that it doesn't go on a stat sheet. So there's definitely advanced analytics in that sense, but I feel like the people that really understand the game are the ones that have been around it the most. And not to say that you had to play by any means, but I feel like sometimes you can just pull stats from the air um, and, you know, make a point on anything. Carter, appreciate your time this morning. Thanks for uh, checking in. Good luck with your kind of new gig here, coming over to the media side of things and enjoy your stuff. And uh, we'll be uh, looking, watching, reading. Thanks for doing this. No problem. Thanks for having me on. All right. That's Carter Hutton. Carter Hutton, former NHL goaltender, now with the Daily Faceoff. So, man, Grant, all the goalies, again, all we talk about is the goalies moving into the the media side of things. Again, you guys, what did you say? You're controlling the world? You guys are what? We're the brains of the operation. Brains of the operation, yes, yes. Brains of the operation. I don't disagree, Grant. I don't disagree. Uh, when we come back, we'll wrap things up with Grant. Get to a few of your texts. Maybe if you've got a call, a question for Grant, send us, uh, uh, shoot us off a text or even give us a call. one 401 1-833-401-1440. We're back to wrap things up on the Kevin Carey Show with Grant Fear on Sports 1440 right after the break. And the Duke fires it up with Steve Earle on the last break. Have you ever seen Steve Earle in concert, Duke? No, I have not. You haven't? I think he was at the River Cree sometime within the last couple of years, I believe, but I wasn't able to go whenever that was. So, no, I've never seen him him live. Grant, have you ever seen Steve Earle in concert? I have not. Hmm. It's well worth going. I mean, it's been a long time. I would say it's 35 years since I saw... Steve Earle. It was back, well, maybe even longer than that. Uh, had a lot of fun. He's he's a good entertainer. Good entertainer. Text coming in to 1-833-401-1440. I wanted to get this one uh, from Kelly. And, I mean, Fierzy, how much fun did you have talking with, with uh, Kelly Chase? Oh, it's always fun talking to Chaser. Chaser's one of my favorite people in the game. So, anytime we get to talk and chat and we have a ball and it's it was like that every day in the dressing room mm-hmm. where <laughs> what's that's the, the fun what, part of the game. What's the dog's the name? Fury? The operation running the house. What's the dog's name, Fierzy? Coco. Co- hey, awesome. That's outstanding. Oh, very so good. So she runs the house. Well, I bet. Yeah, I bet for sure. So, yeah. And again, we've had so many of your great old teammates and, and guys, even like, you know, a guy like even Carter Hart- Hutton that you came across. And I think... A lot of our listeners appreciate the stories that we sort of relay. And I mean, it's not all about X's and O's because I think it could get a little redundant. Anyway, Gelly or Jelly, I'm going to go Gelly comes in. Every time I tune into this station, talking about the 80s glory days, can we talk about the current NHL? A bunch of old guys who love hearing themselves talk, trying to stay relevant. So the Duke comes in. 
And hey, Gelly, we appreciate your text. We really do. Uh, we talked about nothing. Nothing but last night's Oilers game for the first two-plus hours this morning. Uh, if you missed it, you can check that on our podcast. Good job, Duke. Gelly comes back and says there's 32 teams in the NHL. Plenty of storylines. But let's continue to talk to the old guys about their good old days 40 years ago. So uh, I got a little uh, news flash for you, Gelly. Tomorrow we're, we're not going to talk about guys from 40 years ago. We're not going to do that tomorrow. We're going to talk to Johnny Busick. How's that sound, Fierzy? Well, so we'll go back about 70 years. Hey, Johnny's a good man. Isn't he the best? That's even better. Yeah. So Johnny Busick will be with us tomorrow at 10 o'clock, Fierzy. So you obviously bumped into Johnny many times over the years. Yeah, you know what? Pretty fortunate to have met him. Got a chance to talk to him a few times. And it goes back to the history of the game. You like to meet players that you grew up watching. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Johnny Busick's, the Bobby Orr's, Glenn Hall, guys like that, where I really enjoy talking to the older guys because you see how the game was then, you see how it was now, and I like talking to the current guys because you like to see how it's transitioned over the years, and that's the fun part. One of the reasons we're going to have Johnny Busick on tomorrow is that he's doing a charity in Boston. It's a charity that he's lent his name to a craft beer in Boston. And they can't keep it on the shelves because the people of Boston, the Bruins fans, are buying this beer left and right. Now, the other thing about this beer, Grant, it's I think, I believe it's an IPA at 9.2%. So That's a serious beer. <laughs> that's, that's straining your teeth. You're going through and straining the wheat through the teeth on that one, baby. So Yeah, that's a serious beer. I don't know what, what, are you more of a, just a kind of a normal lager, get, get that four and a half percenter in a light beer, a Michelob Ultra, what are, what are you, uh, what, what's your preference? I'm not a beer guy. Not so, at all? I've never been a beer guy. Oh, okay. And I think that's, I don't know, when I was young, I enjoyed a good glass of rum. Ooh. So. I'm but, not sure if you heard, but last week we had a special guest come in the studio and it was one Doug Hicks. He brought in a bottle of red wine, and we had a little taste sampling. Did Hicksy finally bring in a bottle of wine? He finally did. He finally did, Grant. And then he also said that he's working on getting one to you across the border. Oh, there you go. I, I still make a few trips up to Edmonton, so we'll find a way. Mm-hmm. Text comes in. Furzy can come on every day if he wants. Uh, also coming in, uh, why is Evan Bouchard getting a free ride? He's on pace to go minus 50 on the year. Every time I look up on, he's either getting beat or just got beat. Puck is in our net. A little effort uh, on D. What do you make of Evan Bouchard's game right now, Grant? I think it's in that transition of thinking instead of just reacting. And again, the only control a coach has is ice time. And if you're to a point where you've got the six guys you have to play because that's all you've got. And some of that's tied to cap space. I mean, that handy, that handicaps things these days. Mm-hmm. There's really, if you can't pull ice time, there's really no other control. Do you remember a lot of guys getting benched when you were playing? Oh yeah. Slots was, had no problem with that. I mean, that happened a fair amount depending on how things were going. I and mean, if we, we, if we were struggling, some guys got to rest a little bit. We didn't call it benching back then. You were resting. 
We actually had a text come in a little while ago. Maybe the maybe the Duke can find it. That was pretty good, actually, about Grant calling benching resting. So that's how what what he said, and he would just say, just have a little rest for a while, or how did it work? Yeah, he would just shuffle you down the bench a little, and you wouldn't hear your name called. <laughs> so as as players, we technically called it resting, even though you knew you were benched. What sometimes ha- you need it for a mental break, just to watch the game a little bit. How did the reset happen then? Were the guys that got benched, obviously, were they, did it happen to pretty well everyone? I mean, I don't recall a whole lot of Wayne Gretzky benching. I recall Mark Messier getting benched a few times and things like going to the minors and things like that with a different plane ticket for mess. But did it happen to everybody? How, how did it work in that dynamic, you know, in the 80s here? Uh, you know what? Everybody got treated the same. I think that was the big thing is it didn't matter if you were the 20th guy on the roster or the first guy on the roster. We all get treated the same. We all get, well, as Chase would put it, we all get shit the same. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, mean, I think that's the big thing is it, the slots made everybody accountable. And mm-hmm. you're accountable to your teammates more first off. And the goal was you, if you look at your team as a chain link fence, well, offense is only as strong as its weakest link. You didn't want to be that weak link. And we all saw it that way. And we all performed that way. Mm-hmm. You never had the sweeping changes back then, really, though, did you? Because everyone, you know, everyone's calling for either Jay Woodcroft to be fired. They're calling for Ken Holland's head. Was it a different mentality back then in the sense of the higher profile guys, the guys that put the team together? Well, I mean, Slats is one guy, too, though. So... Was it way different than what you're witnessing right now from an outsider looking in? Well, I think the big difference is it's easier to change one guy than it is to change 20 guys, Mm -hmm. especially in the salary cap era. So if you're looking at the modern game, it's easier to change a coach than it is your nucleus of players because of the salary cap. And you've got contracts that are no trade, no movement. So you're kind of handicapped in that sense. Whereas back then... If you didn't pull up your end of the bargain to the miners, you went, got traded. It didn't seem to, they didn't matter back then because there was no one, there was no salary cap Two, mm-hmm. they kept, you had to be that part where you pulled your end of the bargain. Kevin Carey is Grant Fear on sports 1440. Grant, is there a goalie out there that fits this team? If Stuart Skinner and Jack Campbell aren't the answer right now, and maybe they are not the answer moving forward. I know you still believe in Stuart Skinner a lot, but because of all the things that you just mentioned, is there a goalie out here that can help this team right now? Uh, one that's available? No. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the other thing is you got to find somebody that's available. And in a salary cap era, trying to fit somebody in under a cap that's they're pressed up against the cap, you're not going to find somebody that's going to be able to do that. You're going to have to have somebody from within. And... I think a lot of it is going to come down to Jack and Stuart believing in themselves first and foremost. I mean, yes, it's, there's all sorts of outside noise and all the neg- sorts of negativity. And I think as a group of players and a coaching staff, you kind of have to surround those guys with some positive. Mm-hmm. And right now, the only thing you're seeing is negative. And if you listen to negative every day, you're going to lose your confidence. That's just the way the game is. It's like anything. If you had somebody at your job yelling at you, every time you made a mistake or a light flash over your shoulder, every time you made a mistake, eventually you're going to worry about that. So you got to have some positive around them. And I think that's where the coaching staff can help the goalies is 
giving them some positive around them and kind of sheltering them from all the negative. Do you think, Grant, that right now it's best that Jay Woodcroft just goes with one guy right now instead of kind of going one game, one game, back and forth here? I, I can see what Jay's doing. He's searching for somebody to get a hot hand. Mm-hmm. So I understand that side of it. But it, again, you'd like to find somebody that could put four or five really solid games together. And you kind of have to pick your guy and live and die with it right now. When things aren't going well, you've got to find somebody that's going to push and turn it for you. And you need somebody to find a hot hand and just to have that one game where that gives the guy some confidence as well. So how often or how long can you play this game though? Going one, 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 instead of just maybe letting one guy go. Uh, once when you're at what two seven and one now, <laughs> you've pretty much got to find somebody that's going to turn it, and I think that's the biggest thing. And it's whether it's a save here, a save there, you have to have that. And one, it's going to help the confidence of everybody. Mm-hmm. And then when you do find somebody that does that, then you've got to ride it a little bit and hope that he can go on a streak and push for ten or twelve games. Uh, two eight and one. We have to maybe make sure we're not selling right, this team. I'm trying not to add the eight in there. <laughs> two eight and one. Grant Fuhrer with us on Sports 1440. Grant, what did you make of the uh, Thatcher Thatcher Demko last night? I mean, he looks as dialed in as any goaltender in the league right now. Oh no, he's been extremely good all year long, and he was extremely good last year until he got hurt. I mean, I think that's the other thing is he was dialed in last year until he got hurt and played well when he came back from injury and. I, it just helps your team mm-hmm. confidence-wise more than anything is when you've got a hot goalie back there, guys play free. And when teams play free, they're a better hockey club. Is his style of play a hybrid of a couple of goalies bigger and smaller with his movement and things like that? How would you describe how he plays? Yeah, he's, a, he's a big guy that plays athletic. And with the way the game is, it's gone back to offense where you have to be athletic now. And you got to be able to read and react. And he does. He's doing a great job of reading the game right now. And he's got great reflexes, so he's able to react. What about uh, another player that we were been talking about is Quinn Hughes? Uh, did you know this stat? We had it on off the top, and it was fun. He's been fun to watch, Quinn Hughes, uh, so far this season. Quinn Hughes is only the. There's only two defensemen. Only two defensemen in NHL history, if you can believe this, Grant, that have 20 points and are plus 15 in the first. 12 games of the season. I think you could probably guess who the other one is. And it's not Paul Coffey, sorry. It's not Paul Coffey. I knew you might go to Paul <laughs> might go to Paul Coffey. So it's it's obviously it's it's Bobby Orr. So for Quinn Hughes to be doing what he's doing, to be again plus 15, that means it tells you he's playing so well, uh five on five for sure. Yeah, most definitely. And again, I give Rick Talkett a lot of credit with that. Is Talk's got him playing good hockey where he's he feels free he jumps up in the rush but he's good at defending in his own end as well and i think that's been a big key to it is he's good in both ends of the ice mm-hmm. text coming in that's just last one before we i love this one did kevin just say we'll be going back 70 years when we have johnny Busick on tomorrow johnny retired in 1978 that's 45 years ago bud hey thanks for the tip on the math big fella also we're going to be going back 70 years when he played for the edmonton flyers so how's that sound that's 70 years 53 i believe it was yeah, there you go the edmonton flyers oh they had a stacked like team it. back then 
Uh, you know, you would have to be a hockey historian to look at that team. I'm sure Gelly will be listening for with us tomorrow, talking 70 years ago with the likes of, well, there was Vic Stasiak on that team. Normie Allman, you know Normie. Um, yeah. Who else? They had a they had a stack team back then. That was that was tough to play back then for sure because those guys were, you know, there's only six teams in the league. It was it was tough to get in the NHL. Yeah, the old Edmonton Gardens. Old Edmonton so Gardens. Going way back. Hey Grant, thanks a lot. You've got a busy week coming up. Three home games uh, starting tomorrow, and then two more coming up on the weekend. Yeah, we play tomorrow, and then we play Saturday, Sunday at home. So it's going to be. A good week for us and a busy week. Well, appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on, as you always do, every Tuesday from 9 to 11. Have a great weekend. Have some good calls starting tomorrow against San Diego, then the Wranglers and the Tucson Roadrunners as the Coachella Valley Firebirds are really off to a good start so far in uh, the AHL. Thanks to all our guests today, Sean Brown, Mark Spector, Frank Saravalli, Kelly Chase, uh, Cam Lewis, and Carter Hutton all checked in with our co-host, Grant Fear. Have a wonderful day, everybody. We will be back here tomorrow. I'm sure we'll have a few other Oilers stories to talk about, and maybe we'll talk about something from 80 years ago. Who knows? Coming up at the top of the hour, it's Fantasy Frenzy with former Oshep Tiber, Connor Alley, and the Duke of Delburn, Brandon Douglas. At 12 o'clock, lowdown with low tide. Jason Greger takes us home from 2 to 6 right here on Sports 1440. Again, thanks so much for uh, sharing your time with us this morning. We had some great conversation with a lot of texters. We also had some interesting phone calls as we open up the phone lines. We'll probably do that again uh, tomorrow morning. Have a great day, everyone. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow, 7 o'clock. David Schlemko will be our co-host. Top of the hour, it's Fantasy Frenzy. But before that, here is the Duke with a Sports 1440 update. Have a great day.